I'm not going to tell you the full title of it just because that'll probably give everything away. Okay. Okay. So I'm just going to tell you that this is the story of the Stouty family. That's S-T-A-U-D-T-E, pronounced Stouty. I looked up the pronunciation. And it pulled me information from um, an ABC News report and an ABC News article. So one was like the actual video, you know, breaking news. And then one was an article that was written about this case, if that makes sense. Okay. Anyways, so the Stouty family, there was the mom, who was Diane Stouty. There was the father, who was Mark Stouty. And there was Sarah, Rachel, and Sean, who were all siblings. So the children. And um, they were a small family. They lived in a small house in Missouri. So Diane, she was a nurse and an organ pianist at the Redeemed Lutheran Church that the family attended. So she was up there doing the piano and all that shit. Um, the father, it didn't really tell me anything about his place of work, so I don't really know what he did, but he was, um, he was the lead singer for a local blues band that he, like, formed with his friends. So that's okay. pretty cool. He so was, big music he was a groovy guy. Yeah, I guess like, you could say that. Um, yeah. And, um, he was 61 years old. It didn't say how old the mother was, so I don't have that information. Anyways, uh, Rachel, what I read, she was in her 20s. Um, Sean, he was 26. And Sarah, she was in her 20s as well, but it didn't say exactly how old. Now for Rachel, I'm not sure what she was doing, didn't say. For Sean, I'm not sure what he was doing, didn't say. But Sarah, um, it said that she was attending, she was actually attending Missouri State University and hoped to one day work as a French translator. Um, so yeah, that's pretty cool. That's a good job field to go into, I guess. I don't know. Um, okay. So, family's just chilling. Everything's good. Well, one night, all of a sudden, Mark, the dad, he ends up just dying in his sleep. Um, (laughs) and the medical examiners ruled that he had just died of natural causes. Unlucky. Yeah. Which is, like, pretty sad. That's their dad. So, he just kind of up and dies. Um, dies of natural causes. I don't really know what that means, natural causes. He's got old. I guess. 61. 61. That's pretty old. 61. You're done for. (laughs) I guess. When was this? Um, this was back in 20... Either 13 or 16. I know the trial was in 2016. Okay. But I I think the actual case took place in 2013. But I'm not sure. Gotcha. Okay. So Um, pretty young then, I guess. Yeah. Right? Because, I mean, this wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Anyways. Okay. So, obviously, this was a shock to the family and the people at the church, they were really supportive of the family, um, you know, gave them their condolences, were offering them any sort of support that they could. Pretty sad, because, you know, they were a local family, so pretty well liked. And actually, Mark's best friend was the drummer of the little blues band that they had together, which was kind of cute. And um, he was devastated. He, it was really random. He was really sad. They were really close, so that was pretty hard for him. So, um, after Mark, the father, after he dies, Diane and the family 
move into a new house. I believe they still lived in Missouri, but they just moved to a new location, which is obviously understandable. Their dad and her husband died in that house. Maybe it was hard to keep living there and, you know, just rough for them. So they end up relocating. All right. So about five to six months pass and Sean, the brother, he ends up passing away at the um, age of 26, like I mentioned earlier, in the home. And medical examiners ruled that he died of past medical issues that he had struggled with, which it wasn't specific about what those issues were. But um, yeah, so he's dead. So dad dies. Son dies. Five to six months later, son is dead. Son and brother is dead. So that's obviously pretty tragic. Um, really hard on the family. Really shocking to a lot of people. So it's just a whole, you know, big bummer all around. Um, so the neighbor of the new place that they lived in, um, she actually saw the coroner at their house. So obviously she was concerned. She goes over there and she asks, you know, hey, I see the coroners. Everything okay? Because we all know what coroners are for and what they do. So she's kind of like, what the fuck's going on? And um, she was actually interviewed on the ABC News report. And she says, quote, I just saw the coroner over here. Is everything all right? And then she goes on to say that Diane's response was, oh, yeah, my son just died. Um, (laughs) So obviously that's really weird. Um, But I would just like to say that obviously we can't really judge how other people deal with traumatic experiences and death. I don't think we will ever know how we would deal with that until we were put in that position. You know what I mean? So maybe she was right. Exactly. That she would be there would be more emotion. That's exactly what I assumed. But again, just playing devil's advocate here. Um, You know, maybe she was traumatized and shocked. I I don't know. I guess, except like <laughs> right after. So you yeah. think. Um, yeah. Um, so the neighbor goes on to say that Diane uh, didn't sound distraught, and she kind of just said it with like a normal, matter-of-fact voice, like we just said. Kind of oh, weird. Yeah, yeah. Super just, weird. <laughs> my son just died. Yeah, so he died. Yeah. What about it? <laughs> um, so then she goes on to say that um, – after Sean's death, she never saw the family outside of the house. Like, not even to check the mailbox, go for a walk, just, like, step outside, take a breath of fresh air. Like, she never saw them. So, that was also pretty bizarre. Because I feel like, you know, you see your neighbors pretty often. And, I don't know, maybe they just didn't like to go outside. And so... Um, by this time, the f- their you know fellow church members were really shocked, and they felt really horrible for the family. Obviously, like God, it's just one tragedy after another type of situation, and just felt really bad and wanted to do anything that they could to help the family. <laughs> um, you know, pretty horrible. Already two losses in just six months. Um, you know, couldn't believe the hardships the family had to face, all that kind of stuff. Just really shocked about everything. Um, so, more time passes, and by the following June, tragedy strikes the family once again. This time, hitting the daughter, Sarah. 
So Sarah is suddenly rushed to the ER. She's um, the youngest one. She, I, I don't know their ages. It didn't. I just know Sean was twenty six, and I'm not quite sure how old yeah, Sarah was. Um, so I'm not quite sure if she was the youngest, but one of the sisters. They were all relatively in the same age group. Gotcha. So, anyway, she's rushed to the ER and she's experiencing intense flu-like symptoms, which is, um, I guess, for the most part, kind of normal. Coronavirus. Yeah, exactly. So she was actually um, <laughs> the you. first one to be <laughs> diagnosed with the corona with COVID nineteen, and it's just so fucked up that the government was hiding it for that long since twenty sixteen. Unbelievable. Exactly. Like just disgusting. Anyways, <laughs> so. Um, Actually, when the medical examiners took a closer look, it was deemed that she um, didn't just have an intense case of the flu. Her brain and kidneys were actually failing, and they ruled that she did not have much longer left to live. So there's dad, there's the brother, and now Sarah is on her way out. Um, obviously, we can put together... You know, we can put two and two together. This is kind of just a lot of quote-unquote sudden deaths within within the family. (laughs) Um, Exactly, something's obviously not right. Too many people are just dying randomly. Um, Super weird. So, um, actually, one of the it was either a church member or a close family friend. It didn't specify, but. it just said somebody. I'm assuming it's somebody that was close to the family. So I'm going to go with church member or family friend. Calls in a tip to the police saying that they don't think that it's really any sort of a coincidence that Sarah is in the hospital. And they actually accused um, Diane, the mother, of being behind everything. So being the reason that Mark was dead, that Sean was dead, and that now... Sarah was in the hospital which honestly like thank god for this person because I think if they didn't call in the tip this probably never would have been investigated you right, know they would have all would have just thought it was been like oh my god sucks for this family <laughs> exactly yeah. like wow my god this sucks um so that's pretty awesome that they spoke up about it but um yeah good for them good for you person whoever you are out there so, a detective named Neil McAmis was assigned to look at this case. He starts by visiting the hospital where Sarah um, was, and he receives information from Sarah's doctors that Diane was actually behaving very strangely. She was kind of, like, cracking jokes and even brought up her upcoming vacation to Florida. Um, okay. So, I don't, I don't have kids, but I think if my kid was on their deathbed in the hospital, I wouldn't be like, yeah... Me and the girls going to Florida. Woo! Like, I don't know. Just me. Just saying. Um, I'm not a mother, so I don't know. Again, don't know how people, how others would react in the situation. Don't know how you're going to react. Maybe she was cracking jokes to break the tension. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know. Anyways, so, um, else I thought. Definitely, it's super weird. Whatever. So, Neil, the um, investigator, Neil McAmis, he decides to call Diane in for questioning. And Diane agrees voluntarily. She comes in. She doesn't, you know, she doesn't 
ditch the police or try to like ditch town or anything like that so that's cool she's off to a good start anyway she agrees she comes in um she starts the interview like first right off the bat by saying i don't know what i can tell you so are you sure about that girl (laughs) um yeah so neil he starts by questioning diane about her and mark's marriage and she actually openly says that they were still married when he died, but their marriage was not good and that she was not happy. So, okay, we're we're getting somewhere, all right? They had a bad marriage. All right. There is one. And um, as investigators do, Neil kind of shifts from more of an interrogator to a sympathizer, kind of being like, oh, you know... I'm sure you guys had family problems, da-da-da, whatever. Kind of just trying to get her to open up a little bit, you know? Right. Finally, um, Diane confesses, saying, quote, um, to put it short and sweet, I knew that they were drinking antifreeze. So he asks how much, and she says that um, she would put about a couple teaspoons in their drinks. Now, that being said, (laughs) I researched what antifreeze poisoning kind of is, what it kind of does, how that works. So I actually read that it contains a chemical that's called, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, ethylene glycol. Does that look right? Sound right? I have no idea. So anyways, it has a chemical called that that um, makes antifreeze actually somewhat good tasting. It has a sweet taste that goes well with soda, juice, and other sugary beverages. And antifreeze itself is colorless and odorless, making it actually pretty easy to slip into someone's drink without them noticing, especially if it's a sugary drink. So if you're going to poison somebody... What does it do to you? Did you get that? Well, I'll get that. I'll get there. Anyways, so that's, that's you know, kind of easy. That's basically how and she was the, doing it. And she was doing that? She was doing that. She was slipping it in their drinks. So she did it to Mark, she did it to Sean, and she did it to Sarah. So uh, she goes on to say um, she hated her husband, she hated his guts, Um, she talks about how he was abusive, and she actually stated that he would throw things at her and he would throw things at the kids. Um, She at one point called him an abusive deadbeat. So obviously... She hated him. <laughs> yeah, she hated him. And obviously domestic violence is a really real thing and real issue. I mean, But who knows duh. the whole story? Exactly. No excuse. Exactly. That, right? But, then, you know, with that, then we also got to be like, okay, but then why would you poison your kids? Yeah. <laughs> like, you exactly. know, what about that? Or poison him. I mean, that's not a way to handle exactly. it. Exactly. You could also maybe get a divorce. I don't know. Just or throw like, that out the there. <laughs> exactly. Call the cops, get a divorce. If he was even abusing her. Not saying, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Who knows, Who knows exactly what was going on? But I think um, maybe that was just kind of like an excuse. Who knows? Probably. Right. So she goes on to say that um, she considered Sean and Sarah to be burdens. Um, claiming that both Sean, quote, both Sean and Sarah would trash the house, never help support, or even contribute. So, obviously, that's means to poison them and kill them, (laughs) because they trash the house. They're just your kids. (laughs) Exactly, like, who fucking needs them? So, um, she, at one point, said that Sean would interfere with whatever she would do. Now, in one article, I actually read that he had a form of autism, 
I don't know how severe it was or what kind of autism it was. Um, I'm not sure if that's an absolute fact because I only read that in one article. I wasn't able to find that anywhere else. Um, but if that's the case, um, yeah, yeah, he's probably going to interfere in your life a little bit because he's autistic and he's going to need extra help. He's going to need extra care. That's just what it is. And also, even if he wasn't autistic, he's your kid. So yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anyway. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They're going to interfere in your life. They're going to be a part of your life because they're, oh, I don't know, your kids. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Just saying. <laughs> um, so at one point, Neil, he's, you know, playing the sympathizer role and he's like, oh, okay, so, you know, Sean was... He was a bother. You'd say he was a bother. And she said, um, no, he was far more than a bother. And so he says, okay, then he was a pest. And she says, no, he was far more than a pest. So she really didn't have great things to say about her deceased son, <laughs> which is um, pretty fucked up. Anyways, um, she, in the interview, she says, quote, I'm not a perpetual killer. I'm just stupid. I regret doing it. I really do. Now, I, for one, think that's a lot of bullshit. I think that um, she doesn't regret anything. I think that she is just saying that because she got caught. Obviously, right, if like you exactly, if you felt really bad about the situation or if you felt bad about any of it, you, you probably exactly you probably wouldn't have killed off first your husband and then continued on with your children. So yeah, I don't know how regretful you are, girl, but whatever, go off, I guess. Um. So, Neil McAmis, the investigator, he steps out, and him and another officer end up coming back in just moments later and arrest her, obviously, because she just confessed to killing her family. Um, when the investigators search the home, they find Antifreeze just sitting out in the open, so that right there confirms what she was saying was true. I mean, they found the murder weapon there was, you know, done deal. And, um, anyways, so, we'll cut that out. So, um, what was I saying? Um, 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 search the home, they find the antifreeze, confirms that what she was saying was, was true. What she was saying was true. Um, but they actually end up coming across something else. So they find a pretty unsuspecting journal, which is like, okay, big deal, Everybody just got a journal, or maybe not everybody, but it's a pretty normal people, thing. Yeah, right? it's a pretty normal thing. Um, and this journal belongs to Rachel, so she's the daughter and the sister of Sarah and Sean. The only living one. Exactly, of the one that's basically on her deathbed as of right now. So investigators open the journal, read the journal. One journal entry, um, Rachel talks about actually knowing that Mark and Sean were getting ready to be killed. So, um, one journal entry reads, quote, It's sad when I realized how my father will pass on in the next two months. Two months. So she knew for a pretty long while that it was going um, to happen. So, you know, they'd been planning. And then she goes on to say, Sean, my brother, will move on shortly after. It will be tough getting used to the changes, but everything will work out. Like she's kind of talking about this, like, like they're moving to, like, a new school or something. You know, like, it's going to be tough getting used to, like, this new life. But you know <laughs> what? It's going to be fine. Like, it's honestly, it's just, 
it's going to be good. Like, After your dad and your brother die? Yeah. She's like, you know, change is change. It's inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, obviously, Rachel was then brought into questioning where she quickly and eventually confessed to helping her mom with the poisonings. So, it's mom and daughter teaming up together to kill the family. Super normal. Um, Mark's friend, the drummer, who I mentioned earlier, he says um, that once he heard the news that Mark was actually killed, um, that he just, this is sad, that he collapsed and he cried because he, uh. couldn't, he couldn't believe that something like this would happen to his friend. And in the Na- ABC News clip, um, he was asked if he knew what their relationship was like, and he said as far as he knew, quote, Mark's life was great. He loved them, loved his family. It was just a great family. So he had no idea, which I mean, obviously goes to show you never really know what's going on in, you know, behind closed doors, that kind of a thing. Well, you also is... don't even know if he was actually, like, throwing stuff at her. And, like, exactly, exactly. Know. So Obviously, you got to be pretty crazy to put antifreeze in your <laughs> family's drinks, drinks and stuff. So who knows if she was telling the truth, right? Exactly. I guess there's no way to tell now. Cause exactly. He's dead, so he's not here to defend one himself. One the story, and she's a murderer. So. Exactly. He's not here to defend himself. So, you know, exactly. It just goes to show, like, you know, this poor guy who's his best friend thinks that they just have this great family. He loves them. Kids are awesome. Family's super normal. But in all reality, you know, something way awful was happening. Anyways, so um, though Sarah was basically expected to die, she was actually able to make a turnaround, and she started to kind of recover. Um, once the news was broken to her that she was actually poisoned, along with her father and her brother, by her own mother and sister, she didn't believe it at all. She thought that they were completely innocent and that they were just being blamed. Which is understandable because I don't think you expect that from your mom and sister. Right. (laughs) So, yeah, she was really in denial about the whole thing, which is really sad. And then in the article I read, it said that, um... The actual the medical examiners missed prominent evidence of poisoning. Medical examiners who examined Mark, Sean's, and Sarah, so they kind of just missed the fact that they were poisoned with antifreeze. But to this day, they still defend their work. So I don't think the um, medical examiners ever offered an apology to to anybody or took responsibility, which is okay. For mistaking the fact that exactly. They- why does that always happen? I don't know. I, like, I don't understand. Well, I was People trying... People don't do their jobs well. I guess. And so I was reading, um, going back to your question about the antifreeze from earlier, I read that the symptoms of antifreeze poisoning are pretty basic. It's basically just abdominal pain and vomiting. So the flu, which makes sense, okay, is why they yeah. thought it was like flu-like symptoms. It can also lead to headaches and seizures, which is, you know, pretty well, bad. Yeah, a little more serious. Mm-hmm. And I was reading that hospitals they can test for like glycol levels in the blood but i'm wondering if they only test it when they know there's been an antifreeze poisoning like say if you you're like oh my god my kid accidentally got a hold of antifreeze <laughs> my son accidentally chugged a whole bottle of antifreeze <laughs> my son was just chugging in the garage and he, now here we are but like say you bring in you know, your pet or your kid or something. And you're like, he was, he got a hold of antifreeze. I think he might have, you know, he or she might have accidentally put some in their mouth or drank some, whatever. 
then I think the doctors will probably test the blood levels. Exactly. But I don't think, like, if somebody comes in with flu symptoms, they're like, okay, so we need to check for glycol levels in the blood. Yeah. (laughs) So that's probably why they missed it, I'm assuming. Probably. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Because, like, you don't just check for that when you don't know that somebody was drinking antifreeze. Um... And it, it can be fatal, obviously, but if it's treated early, there is actually a good chance of survival. So that's good. Um, so June of 2016, this is now we're skipping forward to the trial. In June of 2016, Diane pleaded guilty to first degree murder and she was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, which is great. Um, we love that. We love to see it. Later. So peace out, have fun. Um, Rachel, she also pleaded guilty to second-degree murder and was promised a plea deal, so basically a lesser sentence, if if she testified against her mother, which she did. So, And I don't know exactly what was said. I don't know if she said her mom, like, brainwashed her into it or forced her into it. I don't know what she said. The article didn't give much information on that, but she did end up testifying against her mom. So she um, was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole um by the time she's 65 and i think she was around she was around 22 when she was sentenced so she's spent she'll be spending the majority of her life her life is is done for good reason though oh totally definitely well deserved so sarah good news she actually ended up me ended up making a full recovery um unfortunately she did have to relearn to walk relearn to talk because she had pretty intense brain damage from all the antifreeze she was given and yeah she still struggles with speech issues to this day but she is thriving actually in the abc news broadcast they play a clip of her and she's like playing the guitar so that's that's pretty cool cool, you know so she's able to do that um i am not able to do that so good for (laughs) her (laughs) um so Sarah, she actually attended the trials of both her mother and her sister, um, in which Rachel actually got up and apologized to her sister, saying, quote, I'm sorry I couldn't find the courage to stand up for what was right, to go for help, to protect you and our siblings. Your suffering could have been prevented, and I hate myself for not being there for you. I want you to know that you're that you are an inspiration to me, end quote. Um, I think, I don't know how to feel about Rachel's apology. I don't know. I don't know if she really feels bad. I don't know if she doesn't. I think... She might, though. I yeah. Mean, that was pretty fair. Like, she knew that she didn't stand up for what she knew. Exactly. Like, that's, she confronted the whole thing of saying, like, I could I had the opportunity to stand up for what was right, and I didn't. I mean, I just think that's one of those things you can't apologize for. Exactly, because, like, it's done. <laughs> and you almost killed another, like... Exactly. You killed two killed people. Three, yeah. You almost killed another, like... You can't really them. just, like, say, oh, my bad. But also... Saying the fact of, like, oh, uh, I didn't have the courage to stand up. You know, that's exactly. pretty I'd Acknowledging say that's pretty that, that, like, she had the opportunity to, but she didn't. Right. And yeah. that, you know, her siblings would still be here. Maybe she would have gotten help. Yeah. I think, um, I don't know. That's pretty, like you said, that's pretty honest. But then again, I mean, you had multiple chances to not kill it. your family members. She so. said that, though. Right, exactly. But, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not disagreeing. Totally. It's it's just one of those things you can't apologize for. Exactly. Like, it's what's done is done. So, thanks for the apology, but my dad and brother are still dead. And I'm. And I still have brain damage. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks, though, girl. Uh, Love ya. 
So, anyways, Sarah actually confronted her mother and her sister at the trial, and at one point she said, quote, I prefer to be a survivor rather than a victim, which I think is pretty cool. And yeah. um, she also goes on to say that she, um, she this, so this is after the trial, this wasn't at the trial, this was actually during the ABC News interview, she goes on to say that she doesn't hold any anger against either her mother or her sister. Um, she just says that forgiveness is the right thing to do in this situation. So that's pretty cool of her. That's pretty big, yeah, pretty big deal to be like, you know what? It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> you tried to kill me. But. It's fine. You know, I just have this irreversible brain damage, but, you know, forgiveness is key. <laughs> <laughs> and, and God is good. So that is the story of the Stouty family poisonings that was concocted by the mother and the sister. Wow. Pretty fucked up. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't want my mom to do that to me, obviously. Why not? I don't know. It's just, like, <laughs> not my thing, you know? <laughs> Pretty sad. Pretty cool that Sarah was at least able to recover, and she's back on track now. She said that she still hopes to be a French translator one day in Paris. So that's pretty cool. I hope that she gets to do that. Um, I don't know how she's doing current day in 2020. The most recent thing I read was from 2016, and the ABC News report was from 2016. So Sounds like she was doing well, though. Yeah, so she may be even doing more well now. But um, I'm sure she's... I mean, do you think... I mean, she's probably traumatized. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. it's probably gonna take like therapy and so much. I don't even know to just like get past that. You know what I mean? Like, half of her family—well, all her family—is gone because her brother and father are dead, and her mom and her sister are in jail. Yeah, for so almost killing her. <laughs> she's all alone. So, yeah, but it's pretty and... fucked up. Um, poor things all alone, like you said, and she's gonna need help for sure but forgiveness is the first step i guess so she's yeah honestly she's well pretty, on her way pretty strong move there exactly so good for her um yeah i don't know that's the case don't poison your family with antifreeze and if you're experiencing abdominal pain and intense vomiting and seizures and headaches it might not be the flu. It might be <laughs> antifreeze. All right. Have a good one. <laughs> <laughs>